This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and James Forsyth. So the Owen Patterson row rumbles on. The MP has now quit the Commons. Um, that means we're heading towards a by-election in what is uh, well regarded as a Tory safe seat. But it isn't the end of the matter. There's a blame game playing out in Westminster right now as to how exactly Boris Johnson got himself into the position where he's received some of the worst headlines really for months, if not years. And if one poll is to be believed, the Tory leader is starting to drop as well as a result. James, where is the blame game at? It seems like Mark Spencer is the person to get most annoyed at when it comes to the various briefings. So Tory MPs are furious at everybody. Boris Johnson, Number 10, Mark Spencer, Jacob Rees-Mogg, Owen Patterson, you name it. I think if you read the papers today, it's quite clear that the chief whip is particularly in the line of fire. I think among some of Boris Johnson's closest political allies, there is an irritation that they were never told that only 252 Tory MPs were going to vote for it. They say that this was kind of failure of intelligence. They weren't told that, how the parliamentary party was not enthusiastic about this idea. But I think you can't get around the fact that regardless of how many Tory MPs tropes through the lobby to vote for this thing it was clearly a very bad idea and you know sometimes political issues flare up from nowhere it was really obvious I think how the press the public the opposition were going to react to the Tory party trying to upend the standards rules and stay a guilty verdict against one of their own MPs this is not an unexpected reaction to that kind of action and so I think no one can really escape the blame for the trouble that the government finds itself in this morning. Isabel, the Prime Minister said to have asked you, how did he end up in this position? Why did no one warn him? Is very much the, the sentiment of some briefings. Is that washing with MPs? Um, there's been quite a few U-turns if, if we go through the ones under Boris Johnson. Can he really distance himself from this? Yeah, there's a sort of mix of views amongst the MPs I've been talking to. Some of them just feel humiliated and are blaming the whips, as, as James said, because they feel that they have lost political capital both because they <laughs> humiliated themselves by voting for this tearing up of the standards regime but also then had to watch the government u-turn about 12 hours later and uh, there's quite a lot of jealousy of Angela Richardson who's the only person who's really come out well from this because she abstained on the motion got sacked and then I think about eight hours later got reinstated when the government u-turns and uh, quite a lot of MPs are envious that she's managed to hold on to her job and come out with the sort of principled credit that they obviously don't have. But there is also another group of MPs who have been feeling frustrated with Boris Johnson for a little while. They obviously, you know, they see him as a winner. Uh, That's something that everyone caveats what they then go on to complain about with. But they feel that he's somebody who's just got used to always getting away with things. And they're concern is that this means he doesn't think through the implications of tricky votes of controversial policy decisions and so on because his ultimate view is that he's going to be okay because he always has been in situations where other political leaders would have well disappeared from the scene actually would have lost all their um credibility 
some MPs think that at some point he'll come unstuck. I'd say that most of the ones who I've spoken to think that Boris Johnson will always get away with it in their words, but that they won't and that they'll be the ones who ultimately take the uh, the punishment beating from the public for the decisions that he makes. One thing I'm picking up, James, is the sense that party management's about to get a lot harder, partly for the reason that Isabel just outlined. If you have a situation where Angela Richardson ultimately didn't vote with the government, ignored the free line whip, and then uh, was restored to her position while others weren't. When it's tricky votes in the future, MPs aren't necessarily going to believe it's worth, uh, you know, getting themselves criticism from their constituents, putting their head above the pair of it, if, it, if they don't actually believe number 10 is going to hold that position. Yeah, I think it makes party management more difficult for two reasons. The first is one you identify. People are going to be less willing just to toe the party line unthinkingly because it's A, quite clear that this wasn't fought through properly or if it was fought through, people did no real appreciation of the political risks involved. And also, as you say, if you U-turn on things, why, why risk your reputation by defending the government on something if the government isn't going to stick to it Anyway, I mean, the second thing that's going to make party management more difficult is that a cleavage in the Tory parliamentary party, which has been kind of evident for some time, has now become much more apparent. One former cabinet minister said to me at the vote on Wednesday that, you know, there were two parties in there. There was a kind of 2017 and 2019 intake in there who were just like, what on earth are we doing here? And then the pre-2010 intakes of Tory MPs who were more sympathetic to the idea of, you know, rallying round to protect one of their own. And... You know, this isn't just a generational difference uh, and a difference in political approach. It is also there is a kind of difference in political interest because those pre-2010 Tory MPs sit for very safe Tory seats. These were seats that stayed Tory during the great New Labour ascendancy. While as the 2017 and 2019 intake, more of them sit for either marginal seats or seats that have traditionally been Labour strongholds. So I think there is, I think that gap, that divide in the parliamentary party is going to need to be carefully managed. But as the last few days have shown, you know, careful party management is not one of this Downing Street's fortes. Isabel, it's not just the Tories uh, currently uh, facing questions about the, their standards. Labour also um, in the news. You have Claudia Webb, who has uh, ultimately got a suspended sentence and um, being convicted of harassment. A former Labour MP. Can you talk us through what's going on there? Yeah, so she was uh, convicted of threatening to throw acid over a woman who she suspected of having some kind of relationship with Claudia Webb's then boyfriend. And this is obviously a very messy case anyway, but what has made it a lot messier is two things. One is that she uh, could face a recall petition in her constituency and and then a by-election. The other is that... um, a number of uh, MPs either gave sort of character witness statements about her or outside of the court, but at, for instance, Labour Party conference, suggested that uh, she was in some way suffering for her politics. That was uh, an implication that Jeremy Corbyn made at Labour conference and uh, John McDonnell has also spoken in support of her. And I think this has sort of shown up the left of the Labour Party in not a great light, uh, in the way in which they view complaints, uh, even criminal action, either as something to be harnessed against their enemies or something to um, defend their friends from. I suppose you could make the same accusation of the Conservative Party at the moment, given the way they've behaved. And ultimately, I think we end up with this overall impression for the public 
of MPs who are just behaving disgracefully and whose colleagues are basically trying to, in one way or the other, brush off their bad behaviour. And I think this is the risk for the Labour Party in the Owen Paterson case, actually. Keir Starmer has long made Tory Slees a theme of his, and that makes a lot of sense politically. There's a lot of Tory Slees allegations around as well. So there's a sort of pitter-patter of allegations rather than just one that goes away. But one of the problems with talking about politicians being corrupt is that the public then seems to lower its perception of all politicians. And this is a concern that the Labour Party, some people in the Labour Party have had for a very long time, even with the saying out of touch, which is that, well, voters already think that you're out of touch as well, Labour Party. And so accusing the Tories of being out of touch doesn't have the same power as you think it does. So there is obviously righteous fury from the Labour Party about Owen Paterson. And you can understand why. But I think also from some Labour MPs, it's just, oh, for goodness sake, this means we're all going to get accused of having our snouts in the trough again. I did think that today's front pages, when you have the Patterson story on one side and the Claudia Webb story on the other side, were really a bad day for our politics. Because I think the danger is it gets into kind of they're all as bad as each other dynamic, as Isabel said. And I mean, there is a kind of, this is a problem. And I mean, there is a, the, the political challenge for Labour is to make out that they are different. And that is harder because various Tories were saying, I think mean, perhaps Robert advised yesterday, you know, look at all these Labour MPs or former Labour MPs who've been sent to prison. Now we should say that Claudia Webb is appealing her verdict. But this is the danger is that everyone lurches into a kind of, oh, all politicians are awful rubbish. And so no, no. And so it serves, it serves to depress turnout rather than anything else. I mean, I mean, there's an interesting question as to whether of the two events yesterday, which will have more impact on Labour's chance in the next election the complete horlicks that number 10 made of your own Paston situation or the Bank of England economic data which suggests that people's real wages are going to fall over the next two years, that the scarring effect on the economy might be slightly greater than thought from COVID and that growth in 2024 is only going to be 1%. And finally, we've had the news today that Yorkshire chairman Roger Hutton has resigned over the club's response to racism experienced by former player Azim Rafiq. Isabel, this is a story that is crossing over into politics. Yes, yeah, so this has been a building row over the past week. There was a, a summary of the findings by Yorkshire Cricket Club into this investigation of allegations of institutional racism by one of its former players. And a number of players were were implicated in this. And in the summary of the conclusions and then the report that was then leaked to uh, Crick Info, the conclusion was that the use of the P word, for instance, was just banter between teammates. And sponsors have deserted the club. Uh, you've got the ECB expressing concerns as well. Sorry, the English Cricket Board expressing concerns as well. And Roger Hutton's resignation this morning, where he actually claims that the ECB weren't interested in helping out when the initial allegations were made, but also that he had come across a culture at the club where challenge to behaviour, to standards, to the culture itself was never accepted. And there are obviously now there's a sort of political involvement here, but I think there's a a cut through also between politics and cricket here where you have these cultures of people who 
are not actually prepared to have their behaviour questioned, who are not prepared to have their institution questioned, who feel that because the people who they are investigating, who are having allegations made against them, are people they know and like, they couldn't possibly be this bad person who uh, somebody else is alleging that they are. And we see that again and again in politics. Uh, We've seen it obviously now in in cricket. And it's very easy for these cultures to form in all kinds of institutions. I mean, the NHS, which I'm obviously currently obsessed with because I'm writing a book on it. I'm just getting the plug in there before James does. Has a, a huge problem with whistleblowers where they're considered to be sort of enemies of the principles of the NHS rather than people who are highlighting dangerous practices. Uh, these cultures can form very, very quickly in small groups of people. And uh, for, for all the politicians pontificating about Yorkshire over the past week, and we've seen plenty of them, I think some of them might want to take a step back and look at their own houses and how their own cultures have become toxic as well. I think if you're not a cricket fan, one of the things you have to understand is how big a force in English cricket Yorkshire is. And I think the stat is that about a quarter of all the cricket clubs in England are in Yorkshire. So if Yorkshire cricket is plunged into this crisis, you've got the, the England cricket boards and Wales cricket boards saying they'll no, no longer stage internationals at Yorkshire's ground, Headingley, but because of this situation until it's resolved, that is going to engulf the whole English game. And you look at the fact that one of the people named in this report, he's come out to, to, to deny the allegations, you know, is Michael Vaughan. You know, Michael Vaughan is a former England captain. He is the person chosen by the BBC to, to be a kind of key part of their cricket coverage to try and appeal to a younger audience. This is going to put cricket through the ringer, and I think there is a there, there is going to be a big, really big question about how the government obviously has you know involvement by funding the ECB and the like. How it is going to handle the situation? You know, you've seen cabinet ministers say that, you know, that they think Yorkshire should do needs must do more, and I think the question of how do you handle this, how do you sort this out, is a big question because ultimately. A, obviously it needs to be sorted out on a moral basis. But also, if the cricket in this country is going to remain a major sport, it is going to have to appeal to the South Asian community where the game is popular, but you are not seeing players make it through from the into the professional game in the numbers that you would expect. And ultimately the, the future of English cricket, I think, as the national as one of the, the national summer sport depends on fixing this. Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening. And while we have you here, as well as listening to us, why not read um, us in the form of the Evening Blend email sent by Isabel Hardman every day? Just go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. And that's all the day's events and analysis um, to back up.